followers of God. Pour into the words that I have to say. May they pour out into us in various ways. May they challenge us and guide us in our lives and in our community. May they speak to us in ways we never would have expected when we walked in today through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things today that you'd open us up from all those who are gathered here and all those who are gathered home. And together we all say, Amen. I invite you to follow along with version, where you can find the Bible but well as find our event and be able to see all of the notes. You may want this one because these notes are it's a, lot, it's a heavy passage. And looking at it, you may want to be able to go back and save that event so you can go back and look at everything we're talking about today. So Paul sets the tone for this whole thing from last week and this week in the first verse of Ephesians 4. Walk a life worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That's the key verse for this section too. You see, in verse 1 through 16 in chapter 4, he talked about the unity of Christ's body, the church. One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in us all. And while believers have various gifts and then callings he talks about, we're called to build up the body of Christ, the church, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Knit together. And in verse 17 to 24, Paul contrasts the way that non-believers live with the way that believers live. See, believers have learned to put away their old corrupt being and put on a new identity in the likeness of God. You know, when Hannah was small, which is hard to imagine now as she's 18, but when Hannah was small, she would imitate everything that I did. That's what kids do, right? Babies mirror their parents' facial expressions. They eventually repeat the sounds that adults make. They get better and better at it until those sounds become words, how we learn. Young children copy their parents' speech patterns even when their parents wish they didn't because they use language they really shouldn't be using. And as they grow, they imitate the adults picking up some combination of their parents' habits and their values and their communication style and their behaviors. And the imitation sometimes grows even stronger during adulthood. Most of us have probably said to ourselves at one point or another, I sound just like my mother, father, whoever, right? If you saw Hannah and I together and we're doing something and I didn't have a beard, you know, and we're wearing our glasses, we'd look exactly the same. We often, you know, talk the same. If you're around us long enough, Susan would definitely say that. It's for sure. And this letter to the Ephesians reminds us that we are children not only of our parents, but of God. You see. And that just as children imitate their parents, sometimes intentionally, sometimes completely without noticing it, that we are in relationship with God and we begin to mirror God. 
And as we grow and we mature in our faith, we increasingly embody and imitate the values and practices of God. So the person that we see in the mirror shows God to those that we meet. Is the person in your mirror showing God to the people that you meet? What does it mean then to be an imitator of God? And that's what Paul lines out through this passage. See, first, imitators of God tell each other the truth. Say truth. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors. Paul is actually quoting Zechariah 8.16, where the prophet is encouraging people of Judah to do those things that will build community. And he goes on, for we are members of one another. You see, members is often used to speak of the various parts of the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about feet and hands and ears and eyes and noses, each of which is vital to the human body and the body of Christ. Because we're actually a part of each other. So this honesty with your neighbor is not just a sin against them. It's damaging to you. There's a saying, you're only as sick as your secrets. Got your attention? You're only as sick as your secrets. I think that's kind of the idea here. You see, if you can't tell someone else the truth about yourself, the shame festers and eats you up from the inside out. And if you can't tell someone the truth about what's wrong in your relationship, then the gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's not an excuse to be blunt to the point of meanness, but we need to frame our honesty and the other traits of this passage. It's because you want to tell somebody the truth and you don't feel like, you know, covering up anything with it and like, well, I just speak the truth. That is not speaking the truth in Christ. That is an excuse to be able to give our peace of mind to somebody and pretend that somehow we're doing it with love. That's not what we're talking about. But we need to tell each other the truth. Say truth. And now say love. Because they go together. Don't speak the truth in love when you're not really speaking the truth in love. Second, imitators of God deal well with anger. Say anger. Say it like you're angry now. Anger. That's right. You don't say anger like this. Anger. Anger. I am angry. Imitators of God deal well with their anger. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. It's actually a quotation from Psalm 4.4. And Paul's intent in quoting this verse is uncertain. He probably means if you're angry, don't sin. There's, of course, a place for righteous anger. Anger at oppression. Other unacceptable practices, like racism. However, we must be careful in case we too quickly determine that our anger is righteous and the anger of our opponent is not righteous. 
For instance, when you're, on, you're getting ready to merge on the interstate, when you're going down Trinity Lane, which is another four-letter word for something else, when you're going down Trinity Lane, you're trying to get over somewhere, and you don't see the car next to you because it's just in your blind spot, and there's six lanes you're trying to figure out where everybody's at and all of that. And when you go over and cross over, and they honk at you, then you're like, what? I'm sorry. I, 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 didn't, I didn't see you. I'm sorry. You're like trying to explain to them in two seconds while you're in the car trying to figure out you know, this whole piece of it. Right? That wasn't your mistake. Right? I, if you're sorry. But if somebody does that to you and comes out of the blind spot and comes up and cuts you up in front of you, what's the first thing that you do? What is wrong with you? Are you crazy? You know how to drive? You can get out of my car and come over and beat you. There is never an acceptable place anywhere to say they made a mistake. You see, we make mistakes. Somebody else doesn't. And that's how we deal with our stuff. You see? It's always somebody else. I get the full you know, benefit of the doubt. But you don't. Because obviously you're a moron and don't know how to drive. Right? See, this also acknowledges something that we need to make sure we understand. It acknowledges we will be angry. But it all means be angry. Especially at injustice, racism, things that don't work right in our world. Don't let your anger define your behavior. Or even hang around too long. See, I've given this rule when doing marriage counseling all the time. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? But it's a pretty useful principle for all of us, isn't it? To not let your sun, let the sun go down on your anger. You're going to be angry, but you don't have to let it fester inside of you and grow. Do you think that everybody who does car rage kind of stuff, road rage, is really a bad person? Or in the moment, do they get so caught up and lose sight of everything that's holy and right and good and are willing to do whatever to let their anger out on someone else? Anger can do that. Turn the best of us people that we don't want to be. You think everybody at the Williamson County Board meeting that first time are bad people? When they got so angry that this time there were 50 deputies at that meeting? to make sure nothing happened, and guess what? Nothing did. You see, and you, and you don't have to let it to talk about everybody else, too. We're really good at this. We're good at telling everybody, except the person that we're mad at, that we're mad. So we go to somebody else and involve them into our piece of being mad at somebody else. Triangulation. And when we do that, we never get to the heart of being able to talk to the person we're mad at and spread the anger around to other people instead of dealing with it head on and talking to the person that we're mad at in the first place. You see, imitators of God deal with their anger directly with a healthy measure of grace. And 27, leading right into it, and do not make room for the devil. You see, if we allow anger to lodge in our hearts, evil can easily attempt an angry person to act foolishly or hurt other people, you see. Keep your anger under control. Third, imitators of God do not take 
what is not theirs, but rather work so they can give extra to those in need. Thieves must give up stealing rather than letting them labor and work on rather let them work labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. This is very interesting. Think about it. When you steal, you steal for yourself. You don't usually steal for somebody else but your Robin Hood. You steal for yourself. You don't steal to give to somebody else. But if you work, you actually then have other resources that you can give to somebody else. And Paul says that's the point of working, is to give to others. You see. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths. Here's where it gets really real. The Greek word here means rotten or corrupt. Say corrupt. Corrupt. Even the word itself is just an ugly word. Corrupt. It was used for talking about rotten fruit or meat. Disgusting in their smell and their appearance. You know what that smells like. So people use the word metaphorically to speak about uh, corrupt behavior. So Paul is saying that Christians must be careful not to use foul, disgusting, corrupt language. What would create corrupt speech today? Well, we all kind of think corrupt speech is pretty much the use of curse words, four-letter words. Not because of their great substance, but because they're not in keeping with our Christian witness. Anybody that lays into a long line of expletives really doesn't have much of the language or have any kind of depth into their creativity of being able to talk about something. They're just words. You hit, your, you, hit your, you hit a hammer on your thumb, you might say some of those words. But saying to other people all the time or making it a part of your daily speech? You know, I watch a movie sometimes and 25 out of 30 words is, is the F word. Is that really? I mean, what does that even do? But see, that's not the biggest one now. Because there are four-letter words of corrupt speech that are far more serious. They're not all four letters either. You see, any word that is intended to belittle or humiliate others, because those words can be profoundly, profoundly damaging to others. The old saying, sticks and stones may what? But words will what? That is so wrong. It is absolutely so, so wrong. Getting a punch in the face sometimes would be a heck of a lot easier than the thing people say to each other and they do to each other in those words. Amen? I didn't grow up a track star, football star, or anything like that. 98-pound weakling, nerd, scientific guy in school. Guess what, how many things I got said to me? They still hurt just as much. And they can still be brought back pretty easily by something being said. You never get over those things. Humiliating words can cause greater damage than physical things. Another form of corrupt speech, the kind of things you say for parents say to their kids sometimes. You're no good. You don't know anything. The possibilities are near endless. When your parents say those things to you, they affect you the rest of your life. If your parents said those things to you, I'm sorry. They're not true. Don't listen to them. Perhaps even consider the source. And then it goes on, but only what is useful for building up as there is a need, 
so that your words may give what? Grace to those who hear. Grace. This contrasts with the corrupt speech which wounds and tears down. So forth, imitators of God watch what comes out of their mouth and they make sure that what they say to others builds up, encourages, and gives grace. That's an imitator of God. Are you an imitator of God? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Fifth, imitators do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This is kind of an obscure kind of statement. But I think it simply means this. Act like who you are, a beloved child of God. Think of your, of, if you had them, wonderful, loving parents and how much they grie- or grieve when their children make destructive choices and endanger themselves. God is equally grieved when we make decisions that diminish us or others. Paul says, don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit of God. How we bring sorrow to God, the same way we would bring sorrow to a parent or a loved one. Misbehavior, disobedience, laziness, undependability. We would grieve the Holy Spirit if we don't listen to Paul's counsel in verses 26 through 29 that we just went through. Put away all your bit from, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. Okay, well, here we go. Those of you who don't like me as a preacher teacher, you're not going to like me for the next five minutes. Because I got to go through these words. I got to give you a little bit of Greek to be able to do it. So just close your eyes and just think of something else, you know, like lunch or whatever and the gravy swimming around and all that kind of stuff. So bitterness, this word was used for bitter or poisonous food drink. It makes it a fitting word for talking about bitter and poisonous relationships. There are various ways to think of bitterness. It's an anger that has been nurtured and kept alive, a smoldering fire that consumes from the inside. Most often occurs when a person feels victimized, or whether by a spouse or a boss or a coworker or whomever, the bitterness. But Paul tells us how to deal with it. What does he say to do? Put it all away. Put it all away. It's not going to help you to get through life to be bitter. You can be bitter or you can be better. You have a choice to make about everything that happens in life. You can be bitter or you can be better. And the first step in that process of becoming bitter over being better over being bitter is prayer. To give it to God in prayer and let go of whatever it, it is. You see, because bitterness is that sticky stuff, the most sticky thing in the world you've ever tried to clean up that you just can't get rid of because it just stays and it stays and it resists cleanup. We need God to heal our wounds so we find it easier to forgive. Then there's anger. See, all these words are different. Just like in the Bible, there are different words for love, like five of them. There are lots of words in the Bible for all of the same stuff. So anger is the kind of smoldering anger here, the word that's used, that lies hidden beneath the surface, just waiting for an excuse to erupt. Our road rage person. 
It's just waiting. Everything is going to go out. Everybody right now is angry about everything. And they are horrible to each other. Anger. Everywhere I turn. Anger to me. Anger to the church. Anger to the world. Anger to the government. Anger to COVID. Anger. Just angry. And ready to explode. And just one more thing happens. You ever been to that place where that one more thing will make you explode? The movie Network, you know, talked about. I am, I'm not taking it anymore. And he ends up in a bad place. Anger is that, waiting for an excuse to, to erupt. But, see, wrath is more active. If, if the smoldering anger is, is anger, then this is turning explosive. It's being let out of its cage, almost in rage. The New Testament often talks about Christians that put away their anger and their wrath. It's two different things. But how can we control our anger? How can we get rid of it? One step is to understand anger's corrosive nature so we'll be motivated to take control of it because it will destroy us. Anger will eat you up inside and you'll never know it until you're empty and dead. Another step is to engage in spirit disciplines like prayer, devotions, reading your Bible, Christian fellowship, accountability, Disciplines all help us develop self-discipline with regard to anger and many other things. Until you challenge your anger, you'll never get a hold of it. Until you let somebody speak to you about it, you'll never take care of it. I have a right to be angry. No, you don't. About anything in reality that you shouldn't give over to God at some point sooner or later. I need my anger. No, you don't. Anger won't help you. Wrangling. Here's a weird word. Wrangling or outcry. So outcry is public demand. While there are times when public outcry is appropriate, believers need to consider carefully whether our outcry stems from righteous outrage or wrath and anger or it actually is something different. And then slander. Say slander. Make sure you're still awake. Oh my gosh, you're really awake. Wow, this is wow. Told you a lot of Greek here. Slander. You know, I've always thought of blasphemy as disrespectful speech towards God. I was surprised to find out it also applies to evil speech directed towards people. You see, slander is a good translation here because it conveys the element of evil intent and an untruth intended to undermine a person's credibility. That's slander. Backbiting. Malicious talk about another person who isn't present to defend him or herself. Well, if they were here, I'd tell them the same thing. Really? Let's get them in the room. We'll ask them if you just tell them exactly the same thing. Oh, I'd tell them that. They're right here in my face. Really? You really would do that? Well, let's just go ahead and get them in here and just see if that's what's going to happen. We say that a lot, but I don't think that's what we mean. That we'd actually do that. And if we did, we may need to consider what it is we would say in the first place. And once again, speaking that truth with what? Love. You see, spiteful speech. Gossip. 
I'm sure nobody in here gossips. Nobody in here spreads things or talks about things like, you know, I found this out or this sort of thing. Or, you know, so-and-so. Gossip. Slander. It's blasphemy. It also includes verbal communication of any sort. Written texts, emails, postings on the Internet. Oh, we love those. Oh, we love to post our opinions and our thoughts and things like that on the Internet. I'm so glad we developed Facebook to be able to do that because I'm sure missing that for my life every day to be able to see every single person's opinion about every single subject in the world. I want to see your family. I want to see your food. And I want to see your trips. I don't want to hear about your advice about COVID, about the government, or about anything else in the world. I want to be connected to you in relationship. I want to love looking at your pictures and going, wow, that's an amazing trip. Or look how much fun they're having and that sort of thing. I don't want to hear about that you went to Facebook Medical and can tell me now exactly what I should think about anything. Or the Facebook government section. We do it all the time. It isn't the method, but it's the intent that qualifies something like blasphemy. And all of us are guilty of blasphemy. That's why you only see me post things I post anymore are pictures, funny things, facts, like, you know, little funny facts about, like, you know, Charles Ketterling. It's gotten so bad. And then malice. The last word. See, these are all different. Malice is evil that is allowed to permeate the heart and inspire the person to plot against others. So sixth, imitators of God put away bitterness. Say bitterness. Say wrath. Say anger. Say wrangling. Say slander. And say malice. And all those internal and external ways that we think the worst people, the worst of people, and treat them accordingly. Reflecting God means that we choose not to assume the worst of intentions, hold folks' wrongs against them, or dwell on the ways we've been insulted or hurt. We all want to find forgiveness for ourselves, but we don't very, very often want to find it for anybody else when they do the same things. And so he lays into the 32 and be what? Kind to one another. And be tender hearted. Be kind means kindness or gentleness. A kind person would reach out to others, offering support of some sort, a kind of word or a gift or a money. People who are kind. Tender heart is a gut feeling word, actually. It refers to one's inner organs in the Greek. When the Greeks saw that as the center of your emotions, you know that phrase you get? You've got a gut feeling? Are your feelings in your gut? No. It comes from the Greek, understanding that your feelings rest inside your internal organs. But that's what it is. It's a gut feeling. Usually trans- translated compassion. Then he goes, forgiving one another. And there's similarities here between the words for forgiving and grace, which you find in your app. I'm not going to go into here. And in the New Testament, grace most often refers to the undeserved favor, the undeserved forgiveness given by God. However, it can also refer to loving, harmonious relationships with each other in community. 
as God in Christ has forgiven you. When Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 18, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Until seven times, which was so many more times than he was supposed to anyway. He's only do it three. Jesus responds, I tell you, until seven times. Not until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Which basically he was saying was infinity. Jesus then went on to give the parable of the unforgiving servant right after that. The point of which God expects us to forgive as we have been forgiven. And if we don't, read the story. God's not very pleasant with us about that when we don't forgive others. Forgiveness won't be given to us. Seventh, imitators of God hold kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness as the guiding principles of their dealings with others. They assume generally good intentions and give people room to make mistakes. They remember they have received grace and forgiveness from God and from other people. And then they share that grace and forgiveness that they have received with others as well. Are you an imitator of God? And then last, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Paul tells us to imitate God. So look at the love the Father has given us and respond in kind, loving God and neighbor. And then says, and live in love. And from early times, Jews used the word walk to speak of the manner in which you conduct your life. How is your walk? Paul means live your lives steeped in love. Love for God and love for your neighbor. Are you an imitator of God as one of God's children? And then he says the last two. As Christ loved you and gave himself up for who? Us. Us. Love is a powerful motivator. We love those who love us and especially those who devote themselves to helping us. But do we give that same love in return? Paul says that Christ loved you, singular, making the message personal, and gave himself up for us, plural, making the message inclusive. And all to be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Torah required Israelites to make various kinds of sacrifices, some burnt, that had a sweet smelling incense as good as anything came off your barbecue when you thought that's the most delicious smell in the world. That's the kind of smell we want to make sure that we make in everything that we do for God. So, how many of these values and practices do you see in your own life? How many ways are you imitating God? How have you grown further into these qualities over time being a Christian? And where do you still have room for growth? Because we all have room for growth. None of us has fully embodied God yet as beloved children. And we are to a greater or lesser degree imitators of God. We like to use these phones for lots of things. One of those things is what's called a selfie, which is basically a mirror of looking back at us. 
The mirror in your house, perhaps, if you're at home right now. If you were to look in it. If I'm to look and, and see myself in my, in my phone here. What am I looking at? Am I really an imitator of God? This is what Paul's talking about. It's the basics of what it means to be Christians. If we can't live in it, there's nowhere else to go. We're just like the world outside of our doors. It's just that our club decides to meet somewhere different. And I hope that you can think about all of these things that are in here and the way to overcome all of them is with God. We don't have to be the way that we are in this world. We don't have to act the way that we do. We don't have to tear each other apart the same way as somebody who's not even a Christian does. Where is the difference between who we are as Christians and those who don't believe anything or believe something different? And if we can't find it and we can't see it, we certainly aren't living into being imitators of God. Because God wouldn't do those things no matter what. So may we all learn how to imitate God more fully in our lives and in the world that we serve. Amen. close our worship today, would you stand and join us as we sing wonderful words of life.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I would just say, as we haven't been doing altar calls or coming to the altar and all that, it's, it's the altar of our hearts, folks. We need to look at the altar and stand at the altar and kneel at the altar of our hearts and ask for God's mercy and grace and forgiveness in extending it. So God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy and your love and your immeasurable forgiveness towards me. May I reflect you in my thoughts and words and deeds. And I pray that I will be kind and compassionate and forgiving towards others just as you are forgiving towards me in Christ. And I would simply ask for each person here that we have all been found guilty and that we've all been forgiven. And when we go to the altar of our hearts, God is waiting there for us to receive us, to give us a new direction, to leave our bitterness and malice wrath and anger and wrangling all behind. And so receive this benediction as we leave here today. Go out and imitate God living in love. Put your hope in God's Word and let your own words be truthful and constructive. May sin arouse your anger, but never let anger cause you to sin. Don't allow any room for evil. And may God always hear your voice in a positive and encouraging way. And may Christ raise you to a new life. And may the Holy Spirit nourish you for the life of love. We go in peace and love and we serve the Lord. In Jesus' name we ask these things. And everybody said together, Amen. For those of you who are watching us at home, in a minute... We'll be switching over to go over across the way and there will be a link sent out to be able to be that. For those of you who are joining us here, then you will be heading over to the gym where the tables are laid out in tables of four. We need to spread out. We need to wear our masks unless we're eating or drinking. And we don't need to spend time with each other because the biggest thing that's spreading this around is close distance, close contact, and spending duration of time. So please don't go around the tables and, and spend time talking to each other for long periods of time. If you want to say hi, say hi from a distance as we get everything. Take off your mask when we sit down to eat and to drink. And we're glad that you're here to celebrate that. For those of you who are watching us online, then uh, we'll be ready to switch over there in a second as well. And so we're going to end today with singing a benediction that's been around for a long time, the Gloria Patre. So let us sing together. To the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end.